0: light out
1: everybody what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of the lights out podcast I'm your host Josh and joined in the studio is my new co-host Austin welcome back man hey what's up guys so today we are diving into some of the most haunted places in Mexico and these stories are dark and brutal to say the least and you can definitely see why these places have now become paranormal hotspots and just haunted in general. Mexico is one of those places that I've always enjoyed visiting. It's a beautiful country. The people are some of the best salt of the earth people I've I've ever met. Have you been to Mexico? I've never
0: been. Always wanted really? to go. Yeah. Really,
1: it's a great. It's a really a one of my favorite places. Honestly. And it's just, it's devastating to see the violence that they are dealing with right now. I don't know if you saw, but actually just this past week, El Chapo's son, Ovidio Guzman, was actually arrested by Mexican authorities for the second time. He was actually arrested in 2019. And the Sinaloa Cartel, I think there was another cartel group, actually went and tried to bust him out of of jail. And The violence got so bad in 2019 that the government actually ended up releasing him back um, just releasing him because the cartel is just threatening like an all-out war and so they released him But this time under the new president of Mexico They are actually trying to extradite him to the US. Yeah, um, which this is interesting. I don't even know this till recently but El Chapo so his father is actually imprisoned in Florence, Colorado the supermax prison yeah i had no idea yeah he's so florence is like down um if you go south to colorado springs and then kind of go into the mountains a little bit it's called the alcatraz of the rockies wow maybe we can do an episode about it. i'm sure there's some crazy stories out there let's go
0: interview him (laughs) i I know
1: let's take a little road trip out there but yeah they're trying it's the most secure prison uh, i believe in the entire united states um and his father's there so they're trying to get his son there too because right now in the city of I'm probably not going to pronounce this right which today we're we're covering a lot of different places in Mexico and my Spanish is not the greatest so bear with me but in the city of Culiacan it's probably not how you pronounce it but it's an all out war like there's footage coming out of there and it's absolutely insane there's just cartel trucks going down the highway they're fighting with the Mexican army and it's just all out all out war there there was a there was a video of a Aeromexico plane landing and it was being shot at by uh, cartel members with like 50 caliber guns That's insane. and passengers are like on the floor of the the plane so it's it's all out chaos there um and if, if you live there i'm i feel for you i mean i don't even know what you even do in that situation and just the whole cartel situation in general is is a really tough one because what's crazy is that a lot of the cartel groups have american weapons yep. so it's like clearly america has some part in arming uh, the cartels, and just the whole war on drugs is a whole another issue, but I just wanted to bring that up because that was going on right now, and um, it'll be interesting to see if they're actually able to get El Chapo's son out of Mexico before the cartel gets to him. But today we're gonna be covering some of the most haunted places in Mexico and really going into the stories behind these places and why they are now considered haunted. So before we get into that, I just wanna thank our sponsors for today. We've got Talkspace, Every Plate, and Care Of. Well, let's just go ahead and dive into our first location. And you can't talk about haunted places in Mexico without talking about the Island of Dolls. So the Island of Dolls is actually an island located in the channels of Xochimilco. The island itself is actually called a Chinapa.
0: Yeah, so these these are small rectangular plots of land. I didn't really know about these until I researched this particular island. Um, They're used to grow crops on shallow lake beds.
1: Yeah, I was looking at some video footage of the Island of Dolls and it looks like a lot of people get around on boats because of these, these yeah. shallow lakes. As
0: far as I know, that's the only way to access the island is through a boat. Wow. Yeah. Um, and this was a technique used in Mesoamerica, especially in the Valley of Mexico. Um, they're usually built in swamplands and a bunch of these little islands are found in the waters surrounding Xochimilco. It's a common place for these islands. It's spooky because it's often... In really humid regions and so a lot of fog rolls through these islands Oh man and uh, a lot of the times the islands look like they float above the fog so the locals call them the floating gardens which sounds pretty the floating haunted
1: gardens I mean the place looks like a horror movie set yeah really I mean there's just all these deformed dolls and decaying dolls hanging from the trees yeah it's a major tourist location as you can imagine but I was like, man, I wonder what that must be like at night terrifying, when the fog sets in or like, you know, early morning and you, you can't really see anything. You're just kind of like roaming around in there. Yeah. And all of a sudden these dolls just pop out of nowhere. Yeah. Or imagine
0: being on a boat and the yeah. fog rolls in. You yeah. can't see anything.
1: So in the early 1900s, the small island was originally owned by a man named Don Julian Santana Barrera. And Santana would often head over to the nearby barrio to sell his vegetables after he'd go get a drink of pulque which is a traditional Mexican alcoholic beverage made from the fermented sap from the agave plant, he would get drunk and begin preaching the Bible to everyone nearby. He had deeply rooted superstitions about the supernatural and the cursed lands that he thought surrounded him. Eventually, though, he got so annoying that they actually banned him from the barrio. According to legend, Santana was on his island when he heard the cry of a young girl. Her voice screamed out, I want my doll. And as he raced through the forest, he eventually found the young girl's dead body on the bank. She was covered in mud and her legs were wrapped in green lilies. She'd actually drowned after being entangled by the lilies in the canal. Next to her body laid a doll. And for whatever reason, Santana decided to take the doll. The girl's body was eventually laid to rest. But every time Santana traveled by the bank where he found her body, he claimed to hear the young girl whispering, I want want So he retrieved the doll he had originally taken from the girl and he hung it up on one of the nearby trees and he hoped that this would finally allow her to rest in peace but now every time he went outside a new doll apparently hung from one of the trees day after day new dolls began to appear until eventually they covered the entire island many believe that the dolls have been placed there by spirits others think the locals added the dolls over time a few think it might be a mix of both Either way, all the different kinds hang from trees and walls, and some even hang upside down. Their eyelids are milky, and their clothes are covered in dirt. Some are even headless, and others look like they could be voodoo dolls with pins sticking in them. Later, one of the locals found Santana's body washed up on the island. He had actually drowned in the exact same spot that the girl had drowned years before. So many ended up believing that the girl's spirit somehow caused his death. And to this day she still haunts the island in 1987 an eco tourist rescue was made and they found that the island was completely covered in water lily this was the same plant that had entangled the young girl and drowned her and now it completely covered the island along with the dolls back in 1943 this island had gained local fame but now after santana's death the island had become a tourist hotspot hundreds of terrifying dolls now cover the island and many of the visitors claim that they've seen the eyes of the dolls shifting or following them. The only way to access this island is by taking a long boat ride. It actually takes about an hour, and the tour travels through a museum, the canal, and a local lagoon. On the island, there's actually a small museum where you can find the first doll that Santana hung up. Some visitors place offerings around the dolls, hoping for miracles and blessings. Others bring a new set of clothes for the dolls and maintain that the place is a form of worship. Many believe there's a strong paranormal presence, and even skeptics have claimed to feel something off while walking through the rows of hanging dolls. I know for me, the only thing I'd be looking at is the doll's eyes.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, supposedly a lot of people see them move and twitch and turn around and stuff.
1: And a lot of people even claim hearing the young girl that drowned, you know, hear whispers and voices and i mean i know there's been a number of like paranormal investigators have gone to the island and conducted investigations and and from what i've seen it looks like they've definitely have encountered some strange activity there especially you know the uh, dismembered uh, voices and things like that i mean
0: it's it's truly a spooky place i i I wonder why i always think why is the first impulse hey i found the body of a young girl let's take her doll away from her I always think that was like, wow, good move, man.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, if you if you think about it, he was a religious man, a, a Christian man, so he probably didn't think anything of it at the time. You know, he was just thinking, we need to lay this girl to rest, and you know, what am I do? Just leave the doll there on the bank, and right, yeah, you know, maybe he thought it was some way to pay tribute to her. But I, I think what's interesting is, oftentimes, objects that are associated with those that pass the residual energy from you know the spirit or soul of that little girl becomes trapped in that in that doll and a lot of times when a death is on the tragic side a lot of times you know there's you know a part of it that is left behind and and a lot of times it ends up in that object that that person was really attached to and so when you look at haunted objects just in general you find that most of the times that the human had major attachment to it while they were alive and it was near them when they passed and therefore part of their souls potentially trapped with it yeah, yeah or it's like a residual energy from that human left in the doll and so I wonder if some of those dolls are from other children who have maybe passed early on and you know they bring them there because that's just something that they do I mean that's just I don't know that that's true or not but it's, it's an interesting thought or it's just kind of become this you know hotspot and you know it's a tourist place so people just bring them bring to kind of add to the collection there
0: yeah. but it's a pretty interesting one even even just as like a community project it's pretty impressive that
1: yeah i mean there's go. a lot on there there's probably hundreds if not thousands of dolls on this island it's
0: you know what it reminded me of this is a little bit uh from home because i'm from detroit uh it's called the heidelberg project huh. i don't know if you've ever heard of this it sounds familiar yeah so it's this art project it These dolls remind me of it because there's actually a a fair amount of dolls there. But uh, this guy back in the 80s wanted to make this neighborhood more safe. So he thought the only way I can really make this safe, since it's not being patrolled by cops as much, it's kind of way out here, Mm -hmm. is I'm going to make this entire block an art project. Oh, interesting. Just to get eyes on the block. Oh, that's, that's so it, smart. It brings all these people by. It's this art project. And yeah, you'll find weird stuff like dolls and stuff hanging and shoes hanging from houses and just interesting. bikes upside down and power lines. And like, yeah, you should check it oh, out weird, Heidelberg huh. project. But this kind of reminded me of that. And it's still in existence today. You can still go by and oh, check wow, it out. Oh, wow. That's interesting. You
1: know, that actually makes a lot of sense, though. You know, if there's enough people, and especially people that aren't local to that area coming in kind of forces the cops to have to exactly. go out there. And yeah, you got monitor eyes monitor what's the going voice. on. Yeah. yeah, it's actually really smart. Yep. But the island of dolls might be the most famous haunted place in Mexico, but it's definitely not even close to the most disturbing. The place with a tragic and strange past is the house of Claudia Mihangos. Claudia was born May twenty fifth, nineteen fifty six, in the seaside town of Mazatlan. The town is a popular tourist town and it sits on the Pacific coast. But Claudia was the youngest of seven children in a family of four girls and three boys. Her mother Maria was known as an aggressive and abusive woman. She was also extremely religious, which I don't know how the two of those make sense together. But her father Antonio, on the other hand, was a sensitive man. He mostly kept to his work and never stood up to his wife. Even though Claudia's home life with her mother was problematic, She grew up as a socially friendly girl. She was popular, but didn't always do well in school. She had also once won a local beauty contest in her hometown. But as she got a bit older, she began studying for a career in commerce in high school, and after graduating when she was 19, she met a man named Alfredo Gutierrez. He worked for a local bank and had plenty of money to raise a future family. They married two years later and ended up having three children together. After the death of her parents, Claudia also inherited a good amount of money. So she and her family moved to Queretaro City. While there, they enrolled their three children in a private Catholic school, and Claudia worked there as a catechism, ethics, and religion teacher. The city was rapidly growing, and they were happy that they had found a new home there. But soon, their happiness began to fade. In the late 1980s, Claudia and her husband began developing marital problems. According to relatives and friends, it was around this time when Claudia began to show signs of emotional instability. To try and solve their problems, the couple attended marriage counseling with Dr. Jamie Flores, who had a TV series on Discovery Channel Mexico. Unfortunately, these counseling sessions really didn't do much for their marriage, and after several sessions, the doctor determined that there was a never-ending power struggle between the two of them, and there was no way to fix it. Not long after, Claudia became obsessed with one of the other teachers at the Catholic school. Father Ramon. This was also around the same time that she began experiencing extreme hallucinations of angels and demons. She was 33 years old when she began having these severe psychotic attacks, and every time she witnessed an angel or a demon, she was left psychologically tormented, and it became clear to Claudia and Alfredo that their marriage wasn't going to work out, so they got separated in 1989. This was the same year that she started hearing strange voices and having visions, but she kept this to herself. She didn't want to tell Alfredo anything. Whenever she brought up her psychological problems before, he just called her crazy. After a few weeks of being separated, on April 23rd, 1989, Alfredo picked their kids up from a school fair and brought them back to Claudia's house. Alfredo still loved his wife and he wanted to make everything better. So when he dropped the kids off, he tried to reconcile with her. He had heard that Claudia had started having an affair with Father Ramon, so he asked her if it was true. The accusation triggered an intense argument. Alfredo told her that he wanted to get back together, but Claudia confirmed that she was indeed having an affair with Father Ramon, and she was in love with him. What Alfredo didn't know was that Father Ramon had decided to end the relationship with Claudia a few weeks earlier, and Claudia hadn't taken it well. She was in denial about the breakup, and she began stalking Father Ramon. She also began hearing voices of angels telling her that her and Father Ramon had to be together and she never lost hope of being with him. During the argument with her ex-husband, Claudia told Alfredo she would never get back together with him. And before he left, Claudia threatened her ex-husband, saying that he would be sorry. Alfredo stormed out of the door, and Claudia slammed it shut behind him and locked it. She then went upstairs to find her children in the bedrooms. They were awake and disturbed by the argument that they had just heard, but Claudia tucked them into bed, and then went to sleep. A few hours later, in the early morning hours of April 24th, 1989, Claudia awoke to loud voices. These voices told her that her hometown had completely disappeared. The place she had grown up was now just a spirit. She listened to the voices for a while, trying to figure out if they were real or not, and eventually she got out of bed around 4am. The voices were still loud inside her head, so she then went over to the telephone and called her friend, Veronica Vasquez. When Veronica answered the phone, she could tell that Claudia was frantic, so she tried to calm her down. Veronica promised she would come over to her house a little bit later to help her out. But in the meantime, she told Claudia to try to go back to bed and get some rest. Claudia didn't take her advice. Instead, she got dressed and went to the kitchen, where she picked up three large knives. Her children were still fast asleep in their bedrooms upstairs. First, Claudia decided to go into the bedroom of six-year-old Alfredo, her youngest child. She leaned against the child's bed, and as he slowly opened his eyes, she grabbed his left hand, and in a frenzy, she took one of the kitchen knives and began slashing Alfredo's wrist. She slashed it so many times that she completely amputated her son's hand. Alfredo screamed in pain and fear while he clutched his arm. His screaming woke up Claudia's 11-year-old daughter, Claudia Maria. Claudia then grabbed Alfredo's right hand and tried cutting it off. Her daughter then appeared in the doorway, begging her mother to stop. Alfredo again tried to resist her attacks, but Claudia began stabbing him in the chest, eventually killing him. She then grabbed one of the other three kitchen knives and rushed over to Claudia Maria, stabbing her six times in the chest. Her daughter managed to escape the room and begged her mother for mercy as she ran down the stairs. Her clothes were covered in blood. One of the stab wounds had actually punctured one of her lungs, but she was still able to scream. Her screams were so loud that they woke up the neighbors. They got out of bed and looked to see what was going on, but never went over to the house. Claudia then took out a third kitchen knife from the set. She approached her nine-year-old daughter, Anna Bellen, and stabbed her directly in the heart. After stabbing each of her children, Claudia ran down the stairs searching for her oldest daughter. She found Claudia Maria passed out on the dining room floor lying face up. Claudia then took the knife and stabbed her daughter one more time to make sure she was dead. She dragged her back upstairs and placed her lifeless body in the master bedroom. She then dragged the bodies of her two other children and placed them together on her king-sized bed so that they were all laying there together. Then she covered them with an orange duvet. She took the three kitchen knives and rinsed off two of them. She then took the third knife, though, and placed the blade to her skin. And over the next few minutes, she cut her own wrists and chest, trying to kill herself. Later that morning, her friend Veronica actually did ended up coming over to the house, just like she had promised. She knocked on the door and waited a moment. For a while, she heard nothing. She wasn't sure if anyone would ever answer the door, but eventually the door swung open, and Claudia stood there in her dress covered in blood, and she had this cold, blank stare on her face. At first thought, Veronica thought Claudia might have been attacked by someone, and when she asked Claudia what had happened, she didn't say anything. So Veronica entered the house and ran upstairs and there in the master bedroom she found the three children laying dead. Can't even imagine walking up and seeing this scene For Veronica immediately bolted out of the house and found the nearest phone and called the police. Meanwhile Claudia slowly walked back upstairs, entered the master bedroom and laid down with her children and when police arrived they noticed the house looked like a setting for a horror movie. The dining room, stairs, hallway and bedrooms were absolutely covered in bloodstains
0: So yeah, I actually had to look this up with how much blood was in the house and it was a lot. Um, They said about 10 liters of blood was found throughout the house, which is roughly two adult humans and this was just from children. That's
1: crazy. Yeah, it was everywhere. When the police arrived, they went upstairs to the master bedroom and that's where they found Claudia still lying next to her children. Her eyes were half open staring at the ceiling and the police thought she was dead when they pressed their fingers to her neck, they felt a shallow pulse. They quickly transported her to a nearby hospital where she was treated for her wounds. In the corner of the master bedroom, police spotted two clean kitchen knives resting on a chair. One was a 13-inch blade and the other was 16 inches. Both were steel with brown wooden handles and they had been rinsed clean. The third knife, which was 12 inches long, was found in the daughter's bedroom. It sat on the carpet covered in blood. Later in the hospital, Claudia eventually regained consciousness Standing over her was an agent from the public prosecutor's office, and he questioned her right as she woke up. In a daze, Claudia told him she loved her children very much and they were very good children. At this point, she had been sedated with drugs and handcuffed to the hospital bed, so they decided to wait a few days for her to give her first statement. Three days later, on April 27, 1989, at 11.30am, she blamed Father Ramon, who she supposedly loved, She told investigators that Father Ramon had been speaking to her telepathically. She said both he and her ex-husband had put her under so much pressure she lost all control. She also claimed that a demonic entity had possessed her and forced her to kill her children. Later though, she changed her statement and said that she couldn't remember anything at all. All she could remember was that her friend Veronica knocked on the door and woke her up that morning, and everything else was a blur. The more she talked with the investigators, she spoke as if her children were still alive She was delirious during the interrogation and she said her children were still sleeping and she had to get home to make them breakfast before they went to school. And once the local newspapers got wind of the story, they nicknamed Claudia the Hyena of Carotero. Mexican authorities had her examined by psychiatrists and neurologists. They went through a thorough psychiatric mental, medical, and physical evaluation. And after the tests were over, they reported that she had been suffering from schizoaffective disorder. This disorder gave Claudia abnormal thought processes and deregulated emotions. They also diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy, a chronic disorder of the nervous system. It was determined that at the time of the tragedy, Claudia was in the middle of a psychotic episode. After the results came to light, the criminal procedures were suspended. Legal teams decided that Claudia should receive a 30 year sentence in an institution. They incarcerated her on September 19, 1991, in the psychiatric annex in the Women's Center for Social Readaptation, a maximum security prison south of Mexico City. As for the house where this awful crime occurred, it actually still stands on Hacienda Vigil Street. No one has lived there since Claudia killed her children, and graffiti now covers the walls and the windows are broken. Early on, the house was used for satanic rituals, but eventually the house was completely walled up. Visitors have claimed that they have seen small children at the second-story windows, or have heard children screaming inside. Supposedly, the property has been sold several times, but no one's actually moved in. Neighbors have requested for the city to demolish the house, but it still stands, and it's become a local tourist attraction, especially for paranormal enthusiasts. Paranormal investigators have visited the house through the years, and some have seen a girl in the kitchen with bloody pajamas. Another story tells of a neighborhood kid playing outside when he accidentally kicked his ball into the house, and apparently when he went to retrieve the ball, he saw the same girl wearing bloody pajamas. Visitors have also felt vibrations and seen mysterious apparitions moving inside, and some have even seen shadows in the shape of children. On April 24th, 2019, Claudia's 30-year sentence ended. She was 63 years old when she was released. And today, Claudia's whereabouts are unknown and the fact that she got out of prison's is crazy isn't that nuts? considering i mean i get the mental health issues and right. i guess that's the debate is you know somebody but even then i mean if she's mentally ill to the point where she's doing things like that i mean
0: yeah can you ever truly like recover and
1: right is she gonna be able to be okay out out in society is she right. gonna be a? I mean she's probably gonna still be a threat out
0: there i mean yeah and she's only 63 years old which is not that old.
1: No. No. Yeah. I mean, that's a absolutely tragic story. It's poor kids. I can't imagine any any stories
0: involving like killing children, but also someone killing their own children is yeah. just reprehensible.
1: Familial homicide, I believe is the the term for it. It's, yeah. yeah, anytime that happens, I just I'm just can't even imagine. I mean, now that I'm a parent, I'm just like, ah, oh, just makes no sense, but I guess when you're dealing with severe mental illness, I have no idea what that's like. So, but still, ah, it's just like, it was this preventable. Right. I mean, it's difficult because, you know, somebody with a severe mental illness like that, ah, I don't know how you even
0: prevent something like this happening, but. Yeah. And she even said like, she was kind of scared to tell her own husband about it because he had dismissed her before. Right, Just saying
1: you're crazy. Yeah. Ah oh, man, it's it's a horrific one. Mexico's history won't quickly forget Claudia's horrific crimes. The same way we won't forget the gruesome acts of violence from ages ago. The history of Mexico runs deep. Its lands have seen civilizations come and go, and the violent rituals of ancient Aztecs won't soon be forgotten. In Mexico City, the ruins of a temple lie in the heart of the city. This is known as Templo Mayor. The main temple of Tenochtitlan.
0: This was a temple that was actually rediscovered in the 20th century. Um, And I think its construction first began sometime after 1325. It's not much today. It's pretty much all rubble and it's been flattened. but eroded over time. After it was built, it was massive and it dominated the center of the ancient city. It was about 1,200 feet long on each side. I had two sets of stairs that reached the summit that was about 180 feet in the air
1: so it's almost like a pyramid shape in a way yeah yeah roughly yeah i know the aztecs it's interesting because the whole pyramid building you know in ancient civilizations wasn't just you know a lot of people think of just ancient egypt of where pyramids exist but the aztecs and other ancient cultures i mean obviously it's not to a sharp point but the steps all leading up to a summit i mean when you look at it uh, a picture of what it may have looked like back then it it does kind of have like a pyramid shape to it Yeah,
0: and they're almost even in my opinion they're even more impressive because you could actually walk to the top whereas the pyramids weren't really necessarily meant to be right you know, right there's chambers inside
1: go. but you didn't actually go to the summit of the pyramid yeah exactly um
0: so yeah this thing was huge and uh the main structure they think was rebuilt about several times by um different rulers it was eventually destroyed by the spanish in 1521 but we later found the remnants of it.
1: Interesting. Yeah, of course, when the Spanish came, they they're like, we were going to wipe all, you know. All trace. Trace of yeah. these ancient cultures and their, their practices and, you know, bring Christianity to the people. But that's a topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but as the years passed, more of the temple was uncovered. In 1978, a total excavation began after electric company workers accidentally drilled into a prehistoric stone disk nearly 10 feet long and one foot thick that is huge yeah 10 foot long one foot thick yeah the the fact that they were able to do this is still mind-blowing to this day i mean it's it's a total mystery it's like if you look at like the tools that they had i mean the tools are pretty primitive i mean they're not dealing with power tools or you know diamond bits and things like that that are able to easily carve through stone which even to this day you need some powerful equipment to create a, Chisel a disc like adds. that and the
0: fact that it survived this long is a testament to the quality of work right seriously
1: i, I know i'm like god i'm like would our buildings even survive that long for <laughs>
0: hundreds and hundreds
1: of years like right. it's it's truly incredible but as they uncovered the disc they found that it was chiseled with artwork and etched into the stone was the body of a woman dismembered into small pieces and not just any woman but the daughter of an aztec goddess And her dismemberment reminds us of the horrors of Aztec sacrifice. Ritual sacrifice, self mutilation, and blood sacrifices were at the absolute core of everything they believed in. As they believed that they owed a debt to the gods, and in order to pay these debts, they'd have to give blood, or else the sun wouldn't rise. They also believed that the sacrificing of deities at the beginning of time led to the creation of the universe. Other gods actually sacrificed themselves in fire to give life to the sun, and one of the most important gods to them was the god of sun and war. If you're watching this episode, I'm going to go ahead and put the name on the screen because I'm not even try to pronounce it. Some of these Aztec names are just absolutely brutal to pronounce. But they believe that this god demanded blood from them, and some of the offerings found at Templo Mayor were stone carvings carved into dolls or necklaces. But another common offering was the act of auto sacrifice. This was a ritual conducted in private, and a personal act of communicating with gods. What they would do is they would take obsidian blades, agave needles or bone spikes, and then they would puncture different areas of their body like the earlobe, lips, tongue, chest, or calves, and this would become a daily ritual, and they would offer their blood to the gods. They also sacrificed animals in private, and public ceremonies. Quail was often used, but they also used dogs, eagles, jaguars, and deer. But what really brought the community together was human sacrifice. In a great ceremony, they would often execute prisoners of war in public. The high priest would sometimes stab the victim in the chest with its sacred dagger and actually dig out their heart. Experts believe there were somewhere between 1,000 to 25,000 human sacrifices a year due to the need to sacrifice humans. When in battle, they would only wound the opponent so that they could actually capture them alive and then bring them back to use as a future sacrifice. When they would sacrifice someone, they would dress them up in a costume of the gods, and the people would praise them and treat them like celebrities as they took them to the sacrificial spot at the top of the temple. After removing their heart, the high priest would then raise up the still pulsing organ for everyone to see. Blood would shoot out of it as it took its last pumps. Then he would place the heart inside of a stone vase. At that point, they either cooked it and ate it, or it was eaten raw by the high priest. The body parts were often consumed by the ruling class so they could please the gods even further. After that, the body was then beheaded and dismembered, and then they would throw the pieces down the steps of the temple. Many of these types of sacrifices occurred at Templo Mayor. It once stood as an impressive period with two shrines at the top. One shrine was dedicated to the god of rain, and the other was for the god of sun and war. Countless human sacrifices occurred at the summit The heads of those who were sacrificed were then put on skull racks at the base of the temple. While most of the sacrifices were prisoners of war or slaves, some of them were children. They believed that the tears of children were linked to the god of rain. And this absolutely brutal tradition went on for hundreds of years. Until 1519, the Spanish invaded the Aztec empire and they wreaked havoc and spread smallpox disease across Aztec land until the entire civilization crumbled
0: only two years later the violence wasn't brutal enough smallpox is even more brutal um it's a terrible disease and it had about at the time it was about a 30 percent mortality rate it killed countless of indigenous people in north america when the europeans came over across the ocean and the symptoms included you get a cold muscle pain headaches fatigue Um, the worst part is that after a few weeks the patient would get these small bumps all over their body a lot of people If you've seen pictures of it or something, a lot of people think it's like, oh, that's terrible because it's just on their skin. But these bumps were actually inside of the patient's mouth, uh, covering their tongue inside their throat. And they would eventually grow these bumps. They would grow and rupture. And then it would release the virus into the saliva. And that's how it passed to other people. Wow. Yeah. Pretty brutal. Luckily, it's been eradicated with the help of vaccines today. This I, was was to a, say,
1: I think we all get smallpox vaccines
0: yeah and um i looked up it to what eradication actually means because it's like well how do we actually know if it's actually gone and i think it's something like if we don't have a patient discovered or reported within a few years we they consider it eradicated eradicated yeah so it has been eradicated but yeah this was what the spanish brought over to the americas and it ended up killing many aztecs uh, just and that's just from the spread of, of disease.
1: Yeah, outside of the Spanish, the already violent war, conquistadors like slaughtering the the indigenous people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They're they're saying between eight thousand and ten thousand unarmed Aztec nobles were slaughtered during a sacred ceremony near Templo Mayor.
0: So they basically took their own temple and then started slaughtering their own people. their own
1: people. Wow. Yeah. Total. Di- yeah, just obviously in total disrespect of yeah of what they were doing. Wow it's just crazy because it's like oh we're coming in we're gonna take your land we're gonna you know convert you to our religion but in the meantime we're gonna pull out genocide on on you in the meantime yeah
0: we're gonna spread the word of god and love and then we're just gonna we're gonna make an
1: example out of all of the aztec nobles oh yeah in retaliation though eight spaniards were actually sacrificed on top of the temple and their bodies were kicked down the stairs and their heads were tossed back at the other spaniards but the city ended up falling to the spanish in 1521 And they ordered the temples to be stripped clean of all the precious golden artwork that could be found. And today, only the ruins remain. And these grounds are open to the public. According to legend, its brutal history is now connected to many restless spirits, as you can probably imagine. Some believe these spirits and energies that are found here are vengeful in nature. Hundreds of thousands of people have died at this temple and the ground is forever soaked in blood. Today, officials and visitors to the ruins have reported disembodied voices. Cries and screams have been heard emanating from hollow chambers. Some have even experienced phantom aromas of blood, smoke, and rotting flesh. Others have seen shadowy figures that stalk the living visitors. And apparently some of these shadowy figures are even dressed in old Spanish garb. Paranormal investigators have visited the ruins over the years and taken readings with EMF meters and have reported high levels, which is electromagnetic uh, frequency, I believe. So it's measuring the electromagnetic energy in the area and it's believed that when the levels are high that's when you start seeing paranormal activity start to emanate like glowing orbs or strange mists in the background of photographs apparitions things like that museum employees have experienced objects moving on their own like ancient tools mysteriously disappearing they've also seen doors opening and closing on their own or alarms being tripped when nothing is there Many have described a sensation of even being watched, followed or even grabbed by something invisible, and visitors have even experienced physical pains, like sharp pains in their chest that grow worse the longer they stay near the ruins. I mean the paranormal activity here makes absolute sense. Yeah, just the amount of bloodshed and hate and anger that happened over the years in this location.
0: Yeah, and the fact that it was like a spiritual Yes, yeah, exactly.
1: Too, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I think that definitely has something to do with it you know, just the, the violence and the bloodshed. Yeah, the Aztec ruins are, uh, when I was in Mexico, I, I think I've been, you know, to some of the cenotes, which are the, like the underground pools. Beautiful, Really yeah. cool. Um, we covered that in uh, Oh yeah, Planet Sleep. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Planet Sleep, good days, yeah. good times. But in the cenotes, they would also go down and, and do ceremonies and i went into a cenote and there were some aztec descendants that were doing some type of ritual down there and they had candles and i just remember going down there and just the energy was so heavy in there and i don't i don't know necessarily if they were they did any sort of like you know human sacrifice i believe they've done animal sacrifices down there there's definitely something very spiritual uh, about you know that place and just these indigenous cultures were just so in tune with, with spirituality and just, you know, whatever the life forces, I mean, just across the world. I mean, I've, I've sat with the Aboriginal in Australia before and just being in their presence. They're just, they're just something special about it. And they're tapped into to something that the rest of us have been, you know, disconnected from. Yeah. So,
0: and I know a lot of those temples were built specifically above, cenotes where was yeah, that, right. their access to water, which is crazy to think that they knew that. How, how do they know it was under yeah. there?
1: It, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, it's like a lot of these are way far down underground, like yeah. 20, 30 feet underground. So the fact, and, and again, some of them are open, like just yeah, open holes in, and the holes in the ground. Mm-hmm. Like there's areas of Mexico where you just, they're all over the place. You just stumble upon it. And like, you gotta be careful because you just like walk and fall into yeah
0: other other temples were like they would build them in equilateral distance between multiple yeah yeah so that's how well they knew the. there's tunnels to, that connect them yeah, yeah. It's, it's
1: it's really incredible but even though human sacrifice became more and more rare after the fall of the aztec empire some have still participated in the ritual behind closed doors in the case of today Mejia, he began searching down a dark path in which he would never return The beginning of this story dates back to the 18th century. A nobleman of San Clemente ordered the construction of a mansion for his daughter in Guanajuato. It was later turned into a post office in the 19th century until a mining engineer named Tadeo purchased the property for him and his wife. According to one story, the couple lived in the house for less than a year before tragedy struck. The employees of the mine where Tadeo worked supposedly weren't getting paid, and so they actually accused Tadeo of pocketing the money. In truth, the mine was suffering from an economic crisis, so their payments were late, but the miners had been convinced that Tadeo was stealing from them. So they ended up breaking into his house, hunting down his wife Costanza, and stabbing her in the neck. And after watching his wife die, this triggered a psychotic episode. After this happened, in desperation, Tadeo ended up reaching out to a local witch, also known as a Bruja. And she showed him strange, dark magic rituals that included human sacrifices of young men and women. She promised him that he could bring his wife back to life through rituals of human sacrifice. So between 1890 and 1900, Tadeo kidnapped and sacrificed an unknown number of men and women in his home. It didn't matter if his victims were men or women. As long as they were alive and breathing, he took them into his house, performed a dark ritual, and slaughtered them. Several bones and human ashes belonging to a handful of different victims were later found in the basement. Several books on black magic rituals were also found inside. And while he faced trial for his crimes, he would never make it to prison. Tadeo ended up shooting himself in the head before the end of his trial. The house where he killed countless people still stands today, but it was converted into a museum in 2010, and it's now known as the House of Laments. It's said you can still hear the agonizing screams of the victims inside the house, Others have heard the footsteps of women in high heels, and cold spots can be felt in several different locations. Some say that Tadeo's ghost also roams the house, and his spirit is forever trapped inside. Since he has never paid for his crimes while alive, this might be his penance and death. The museum can be toured for a few dollars, and it's sort of a haunted house attraction now with costumes and special effects, but many believe that if you look past the theatrics, the true paranormal horrors can still be found which I don't know how I feel about turning in a place of literal human sacrifices into a haunted attraction. I mean, uh,
0: seems in poor taste, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Also, you know, I'm more of a skeptic on the paranormal stuff, but I will say the, if there is something that would be horror related that I would kind of, it would make sense in the realm of spirituality is that someone is sentenced to like their spirit cannot flee yeah From
1: this room like fully cross over and yeah. you know rest in
0: peace yeah that's terrifying until they're too. just thinking about being in a place forever is yeah. terrifying
1: i don't know i feel like there, there's there's got to be something to that because there's so many cases and instances of situations where individuals who have done horrific and brutal crimes in, in locations oftentimes apparitions of of that person or you know, outlines of figures of that person are still there and seen. Yeah, and I know there's been there's been paranormal investigators that have you know done investigations and uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the technology that that this one company has, but they're able to you know through photographs are able to actually capture like images of of the spirits. Really? Yeah. Like the uh, I'm forgetting the actual name of it. Um Steve Shippy is his name, is the name of the paranormal investigator. He did an investigation of a house and we'll have to cover it on here at some point. But there's this technology, there's a software that's able to analyze uh, photographs um, and through this software, it was actually able to capture and, and create a physical image of the spirit and it ended up being this old man that was like decaying and stuff, but it was actually the man that had died in the house or had done something in the house. That's crazy. And so it's like, When I see that, I'm like, well, obviously there's a, you know, skeptical side of me. That's like, that's just like AI or something creating an image, but the image was so close to what the guy looked like while he was living, but he just looked like old and, you know, like he was rotting basically. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was really mind blowing. I'll have to, I'll have to figure out what that was and, and cover it here on, on the show at some point, but definitely that sounds interesting. I mean, after looking at so much paranormal cases and stories, I've become a real believer in there is something to all this. Like this isn't just all bullshit. It's not all made up. It's not just fairy tales. This is there's something real about this. And and I guess it really depends on, you know, how spiritual you are and, and what your personal beliefs are. But I do believe that there is something there is another realm within our realm. And if you think about it, like there's, there's, you know, we are only able to see a fraction of what's actually all around us. You know, we only can, you know, we can't see ultraviolet, ultraviolet, and all these other lights. You know, a light forms and um, the energy. You can't see the atoms around you. You can't. There's so much you can't see with the human eyes, but that doesn't mean that's not there. Right. And so I feel that this there is like a spiritual realm around us. It's just we can't see with our physical eyes. But you know, when you pass, you know, a part of you may stay in this realm maybe it's for a, sh- a short period of time until eventually you move on or in this situation where you've done something horrific on this planet that maybe be you know part of the way it works is you know you have to pay your dues you know you don't nobody leaves the planet without you know paying for the things that you've done and depending on the level of things that you've done maybe you know there's something to you know, before you can actually cross over and to whatever's next, you're forced to stick around and, and wait it out. Yeah, You know, like I mean, for those that die before going to prison, like he died before ever going to prison, maybe that's why he ended up staying here versus those that pay their time and then move on or, you know, you're able to work through it. I don't know, it's, it's an interesting thing to...
0: As a skeptic, I don't lean hard either way, but I would say, yeah, If anything, it's since this guy had killed so many people and never really saw prison time, it's also just a way of getting some level of closure, especially for the victims and the victims' families. It's like, if this guy just got away with it, we'd like to think that hopefully his spirit is now imprisoned in this realm, you know, something like that.
1: Yeah, because that's always like the debate, right, especially with the death penalty. is like, is it better to kill that person or do a similar thing to them that they did to their victims is that justice or is it justice to let them rot in a prison cell for years and years and years you know right. and so it's kind of like it you know even if they do exit you know the planet through death early on does that mean that's the end and they move on to whatever's next or you know restart or you know, is there a, a form of justice on the other side, a okay. process before your soul can move on or, you know, and again, it comes back to what you believe and if you believe in souls and spirits and things like that or, you know, if you don't believe in anything, then I guess it doesn't matter. But I know for me personally, I think there's, it's far more, com- I think it's far more complicated than what we can even possibly comprehend. I don't think it's as simple as like, oh, you know, you go over here and there's, you know, somebody judges you or, um, you know it's as simple as as what our little monkey minds can think of but i think there is some form of justice i think there is justice throughout the universe i think there's life and death throughout the universe i mean everything starts from nothing and becomes something and then dies even stars die everything dies so there is this circle of life throughout the universe and i think there's something to that i don't think it's just like you live in nothing
0: yeah you, you think there's some order There is order. Yeah, Yeah. I think there is
1: order to the universe. I think the universe has given us that much that, you know, there's order amongst the cosmos. And so at the highest level of, you know, living organisms and there, you know, there's a lot of debate that the, the cosmos is conscious and, you know, the earth is conscious. The sun is conscious. All these cosmic entities are conscious much like we are. I mean, we come from the earth if you think about it. So why wouldn't the earth be conscious? Right. Yeah, We're all, you know, we all return to the earth and the earth creates
0: us. Yeah. I so. mean, that's a beautiful way of looking at the world. I mean, I'm that's kind of on the other end. Yeah, to be li- yeah? yeah okay. I think everything's okay. kind of just, we come from chaos and we live in it and we try to forge our own path through the chaos. There, It yeah. can still be beautiful in a way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, either way, not this sense of uh, justice, cosmic justice or, or some, or order. I think we kind of make our own.
1: So we're in control at the end of the day. Like we create our own <laughs> own destiny. I'm getting really, really deep <laughs> into this, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to just think about, especially when talking about the paranormal. I think there's just so much more to it than just, I think the way that we approach the paranormal is, is so simple. And I think that's why a lot of people are skeptic is like the way that we're comprehending it is just doesn't make a lot of sense to the, to the average person because yeah. we're, we, we're not thinking beyond what we're actually experiencing and, and thinking and we don't know. That's the thing too, is we don't know what's actually causing this to happen. Yeah, like
0: I, I agree with you on that for sure. As the like the paranormal is way beyond if it does exist, if there are like spirits or entities or energies that we can't see, we most likely cannot comprehend it fully.
1: What's your thoughts on like higher EMF readings in, in these locations? Like the electromagnetic energy. Levels are much higher in places where paranormal activity is, yeah, witnessed. That's I know I, I've
0: heard that, um, and I don't know if you ever play the game Phasmophobia, but mm, you get to go find yeah, some ghosts, yeah, yeah. and you're yeah, good enough one. reader. Um, but I I'm not sure. I don't know enough about it to actually make an opinion. Maybe by the next episode, well, if you think about episode, it, I'll, I'll we all have it. our
1: own energy fields. Right. Like that's a proven fact. Just like the Earth has. You know, the magnetic poles, it has its own electromagnetic field around it. We all have our own, too. We're all electromagnetic energy entities. Yeah. So if you think about it that way, there are, you know, elevated levels of that.
0: Is there something left behind that we can
1: see? Clearly, on a purely scientific level, you could say there's residual energy left over that's there. Why it's there, we don't know. But that has been scientifically proven time and time again in haunted locations where whether horrific things happen or spiritual locations there is this residual energy there and is it from the people that live there at one point or is it just that particular location maybe it's the geo you know the geolocation is in itself a, a electromagnetic hotspot which that's a whole another thing the anomalies that happen in these locations and that's like the debate is paranormal activity a result of Residual energy left over by humans that live there or is this a geolocation thing like is it the actual location on the planet? That actually caught you know may have had some sort of effect on the humans that live there Because of of this electromagnetic energy and how it affected the earth affected the humans So that's kind of the debate is like what what is it? Is it our electromagnetic energy? That's being left over when we're gone and that's the residual energy. That's in fact causing paranormal activity to occur or is it the actual planet itself that affected the humans that were there in turn causing the paranormal activity
0: well i will tell you this by the next time we talk about this i'm gonna research a bunch yeah you should look look into electromagnetic
1: uh because i think
0: i'm gonna watch a few 10 minute youtube videos and become a a professional there there you go
1: Yeah, and no, I mean, I, I have a very basic understanding of this, too. I'm not a scientist by any means, but from what I've learned over the years of of looking into this stuff is like there is something to it. Like this is a measurable thing. And in places like Skinwalker Ranch, that is like there's a, there is clearly an anomaly happening there. There's electromagnetic anomaly. There's radiation there that is unexplainable. That's coming from deep within the earth that they've actually been able to measure there's a whole show on on History Channel where yeah, they're,
0: I think I saw something about that. Didn't they actually find something deep within the earth? Yes, it was like they a don't huge know what it is. Metal object or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, there's
1: there's something under under the ranch that is causing this ele- elevated levels of electromagnetic energy and radiation that is unexplainable. Like they haven't figured out what it is exactly. Yeah, and so they believe that whatever it is, maybe it's something geologically that's causing it. it could be something deep within the earth that is completely natural. That you know, and that, that's where people go to like portals and things like that, is there some, it, it's something trans-dimensional that's happening. And when you get into talking about dimensions and everything, that's when things get really trippy. But, you know, and there's, there's debate within the scientific community of, of how many dimensions there are. But what we do know is there is more than one dimension. And we know that, you know, there's three-dimensional, four-dimensional, fifth, fifth dimension. And, you know, some people say there's all the way up to 11 dimensions. And when you start to look at that and dive into the theoretical physics behind that and and i mean that's where it really like becomes clear that we uh, you know for, we've come a long way in the scientific community but there's so much that we don't know and there's so much that I've, of science that's still theoretical and you know it's just different scientists opinions on what it is but ultimately no one knows you know the answers to it and i think that's what's so exciting about this and this is why i love paranormal activity and I love looking into unexplainable phenomena is because I think they're you know we are still searching for answers as to what is causing all these things yeah and all this you know orbs I mean orbs are, are getting captured on camera like we you, know you guys orbs. Caught, I've caught yeah. orb in my own studio mm-hmm. and there is nothing that. and you know people like, oh it's camera this camera I was like no it's not because unless the camera had an abnormal anomaly that one time, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. I mean, the camera's never done that since that one day, that one episode where there was literally an orb floating next to me. There's something to that. I, I think there's something more to that and there's something, you know, whether it's, you know, and, and that's the debate, what is it? What is, co- what is the orb itself? Is it just, is it energy? Is it a spirit? What is it? So I'm getting way off topic here, <laughs> but. um, But that's what happens when you have a have a co-host. Now you get way off topic. Yeah, this is the. But hopefully, it's an interesting conversation, and I'd love to just do a whole episode just talking. Like maybe we can do an episode where,
0: yeah, we we kind of debate on the paranormal, and you kind of
1: present your argument, I'll present mine, and we kind of go back and forth about different types of paranormal activity or or unexplainable phenomena, and just kind of talk through it from different perspectives. I think that'd be really interesting. That would be sweet.
0: I'm into that. I got to do my research. Yeah. (laughs) Good. Good. Yeah. Start now. (laughs) But if there's one paranormal
1: place that's usually undisturbed by ticket booths and theatrics, it's the local cemetery. So about 200 miles west of the House of Laments is the city of Guadalajara, and its history dates back hundreds of years. At the heart of the city is a historic cemetery that sits on Belen Street that dates back to 1848. Its name is Pantheon de Belen, and it's also known as the Santa Paula Cemetery. It's separated into two areas, the common area and a section reserved for the wealthy. When it was opened for burial, many famous locals were buried there. It's rumored that all different types of strange supernatural energy have infested the ground since its earliest days, and the first known horrors date back to the 1700s and continue through the 1800s. Famine had hit the area early on, and by 1833, many were killed by waves of cholera.
0: So cholera, if you don't know, it's... Uh... It's an infection of the small intestine. It's usually caused by drinking unsafe food or water, and usually the food and water has been contaminated with traces of human feces. Oh. Yeah. Symptoms usually involve cramps, diarrhea, and vomiting. Um, sometimes the diarrhea and vomiting can get so bad that the patient gets severely dehydrated. They could potentially die just from that. Um, after a while, they get. From the dehydration, they get sunken eyes. Their skin becomes really cold, dry, and tough. And if they're dehydrated enough, they'll actually their skin will start to turn blue. Risk of death is usually around five percent. Um, but if the patient doesn't have access to health care, which I mean, if you go back in time, you know, there's actually a fifty percent chance of death. So, at the time, with no modern medicine, uh, many people in the 1800s, Guadalajara ended up dying from cholera. Wow. Yeah just the diseases that
1: people had to deal with in in you know we're early human lucky. history in the 1800s especially i mean just such a brutal time and yeah, it's not very, like you can run to a state-of-the-art hospital where you're gonna get
0: yeah great care even know? just the concept of like an iv to rehydrate you yeah know, is, yeah you know, you're not really getting that it's
1: like here drink some water <laughs> yeah good yeah luck. You're vomiting like, <laughs> yeah there's no you're just vomiting the liquids up yeah, yeah god the the days before ivs man is brutal but the city soon needed more area for burial grounds outside of populated areas, so they took the orchard space next to the Hospital of Belen and changed it into a cemetery. In 1848, the grounds were constructed. and the area reserved for the wealthier people, they built a chapel dedicated to St. Paula. Eventually, health officials stopped any more burials in 1896, and underneath the chapel, many of the city's historical figures had been buried in a mausoleum, but the remains were eventually moved to a new burial site in 1957. As for the common area this land was used to build the tower of medical specialties for the hospital and today what remains of the cemetery is still open day and night to visitors decorative headstones and works of art are still inside and over the centuries local legends tell of otherworldly creatures that have manifested inside of the property around the ground people have reported cold spots and disembodied voices many have felt being closely watched or followed one popular story mentions an old pirate that decided to leave his old life behind he later retired and settled down in the city. As years passed, he ended up meeting a woman and having a child, but that child never knew about their father's past. Supposedly the old man had stashed a ton of stolen treasure somewhere in the city. It was treasure that he had gathered up over the years on the high seas, but he died before he could tell his child the location of his fortune. He was then buried in the cemetery, and as the legend goes, if anyone can find the grave and pray to his spirit, he might speak to them and tell them where the treasure is hidden. But he'll only tell someone who deserves it a darker local story surrounding one of the graves is known as the child afraid of the dark on may 24th 1882 a brutal storm had rolled through the city the young couple was putting their 10 year old son to bed his name was ignacio altamirano and he also went by the nickname little nacho he was generally a healthy baby but ever since he was born he had an intense fear of the dark which i think we all do his children pretty much were you of the dark I was terrified
0: of the, of the dark when I was so a kid.
1: Why is that? Why know. are we from yeah. like birth scared of the dark? Yeah. I'd have like my door cracked.
0: Same. So I that or light like on. the bathroom light on yeah, in yeah. the hallway. I, I, I slept. uh with, I was in a bunk bed with my older brother. He slept on the bottom. Oh, really? And I would tell him I was like, just please let the crack open so I could leave the light in. And he sometimes couldn't sleep with the crack and the light in, so he would wake up when I he thought I was asleep and he would go close the door oh, and I'd just start screaming. Really? Um, oh my God.
1: I know, I'm, I'm like trying to think, I'm like, why? It's not like I ever saw anything scary or like yeah. that would make me afraid of it, but it's like this natural fear we have of like the pitch dark. Yeah, maybe it's just because our imagination is filling in the blanks yeah, where we can't be, see, so. It must be our imagination just like starting to create things but Yeah, and the shadows and things like that, or you know, the dark pitch dark closet. I know I was like scared of the closet. I was like, <laughs> I have to shut the door. Yeah. But whenever he was in the dark, he would cry until a light was turned on Many children are afraid of the dark, but little Nacho's fear was way more intense. If he was ever in the dark for too long, he would end up having a panic attack. So every time he went to sleep, his parents kept on a small lamp powered by oil along with a few candles. Or if the moon was bright enough at night, they would keep the curtains open in his bedroom. This was the only way he could sleep. As years passed, the parents learned how to adapt to Nacho's intense fear of the dark. When he was two, the parents left the house late one night. They left the child in the care of the housekeeper And like always, they had kept the oil lamp and candles lit in his bedroom before leaving. They also left the bedroom window open. But that night, the weather picked up, and a strong breeze came in through the window and blew out the candles and the oil lamp. Unfortunately, the housekeeper didn't check on the child to make sure his bedroom had light. So little Nacho soon woke up to a pitch-black bedroom. Immediately, he was flooded with terror, and the darkness was too much, and his fear overpowered him. His heart pounded in his chest as he tried to cry out for help. This fear became so intense that the boy's heart stopped the parents later got home and found their son dead in his crib but the story only got worse after his death they held his funeral for the boy and placed him in a small wooden coffin after he was placed in a stone tomb in the cemetery the family went home to grieve but by the next morning they got word from the caretaker he said that when he did his early morning patrol of the cemetery grounds he had found little nacho's coffin It was actually laying outside of his stone tomb and the casket had been opened. The caretaker then reported the crime to the police. Investigators thought that it was a simple grave robbery and maybe the parents had put something valuable inside the coffin. The cemetery caretaker then reburied the boy in his tomb. But the problem was this happened several more times. The caretaker kept finding the boy's coffin outside of the tomb with the lid open. The lid looked like it had been broken from the inside and the caretaker would find the boy's remains in the coffin... When he contacted the parents again, they tried to make sense of why this was happening, and they told the caretaker how little Nacho had been incredibly afraid of the dark ever since he was born. The parents then decided to build a special tomb for their son. Instead of having it underground, they elevated the tomb on a stone platform, and the coffin was placed in the tomb where it would be in sunlight during the day. They also added four pillars on the corners of the platform, and every night the caretaker would light four torches on each pillar, so Ignacio would never be in the dark again. As the decades pass, his remains never moved again, but visitors have still noticed strange occurrences near his tomb. In recent years, some have seen the apparition of a young boy. Others have seen strange balloons floating near his grave like they were being held by an invisible child. Others have seen glowing orbs and have heard disembodied footsteps nearby. Not far away from Ignacio's tomb, another grave tells of a legend of a young boy who lost his faith in God. This boy's name was Santiago. And when he was young, he was taken to the nearby hospital where doctors diagnosed him with a terminal stomach illness. Eventually he was bedridden in the hospital. And one day his mother visited and brought him one of his favorite saint statues that he always prayed to. Right as he spotted the statue in his mother's hands, he snatched it and smashed it against the hospital wall. He screamed and cursed God for giving him his terminal illness. Later that same night, Santiago snuck out of the hospital and wandered around the next door cemetery. And by the next morning his corpse was found hanging from one of the trees ever since visitors have seen the faint silhouette of a young boy hanging from some of the trees in the cemetery besides the death of these young boys the most famous local legend of this cemetery is a tale of a blood-sucking creature that prowls the grounds at night through the 1800s dozens of small animal carcasses began littering the streets at night their bodies had been drained of all their blood two close puncture wounds were always found on the animals, especially near their necks This went on for months until the killings got worse. Instead of small animals, the bodies of small children were then found dead in their cribs across several neighborhoods, and just like the animals, their bodies had been drained of blood. They also had two close puncture wounds on their skin, especially near their neck. The townsfolk were warned to stay inside at night and keep an eye on their children. Many stayed indoors at night and prayed, hoping that God would take care of the evil in their town. A few of them eventually banded together as vigilantes to track down the killer A man had been kidnapping children, killing them and drinking their blood. They eventually believed the killer was actually a vampire living on the outskirts of town. The angry mob eventually cornered the accused man. He was ghostly looking and pale and many thought he looked like a vampire. So the mob pinned him to a wall and drove a wooden stake through his heart. Blood poured from his chest and he died instantly. They dragged the body to the cemetery and buried the remains, but they feared the vampire would rise again. So they placed a large stone slab over his grave. As the years passed, many noticed that the single tree had sprouted from the man's grave. If you can find this tree in the cemetery, the legend says you can snap off a branch and the tree will bleed a substance that looks like human blood. After touching the tree, some have reported that the bark will leave behind a red residue on their hands and clothes. This mysterious tree eventually grew a massive root system beneath the cemetery's soil. And over the years, these roots have slowly penetrated the stone slab where the vampire is buried beneath. Once the tree grows large enough, it's believed the root system will fully break through the slab and release the vampire from his slumber. When that day comes, the man will seek vengeance on the townspeople. Many other legends surround this cemetery and many visitors continue to experience the work of strange energies and unexplained phenomena to this day. Out of all the haunted places in Mexico, almost all of them have one thing in common. These places have a history of violence. Gruesome death is often connected to these places. From recent mass murders to ancient human sacrifices, the haunted grounds of Mexico are stained with blood, and the souls of the dead might still linger here. Others might have been forced to stay in the realm between the living and the dead, and some spirits pass on into the unknown, while others have been condemned to stay here forever. I want to know your thoughts on
0: these children and the, the two puncture wounds. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think it was, you know, teeth, teeth marks. Interesting, um but really, it wasn't specified. Uh, how I'm sure the, I'm sure the
1: reporting it. on it wasn't
0: great. Yeah, how how thorough were autopsies back then? Yeah, but they do say, yeah. I mean, they were drained of blood just like the animals that they were finding out there. As a human, though, how do you get two bite bite marks? Oh, I think it was two puncture wounds, almost like if you think of like fangs. I think They're that's fang- what they were trying. They were trying, to, trying say. to
1: say this dude had fangs that were long enough that. He could bite into the children and not leave. There'd be no, yeah, that's bite ass- marks from the other teeth. Yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty- essentially
0: what they thought. Yeah, I'm,
1: I kept thinking like, what if a bat or something or like some type of creature that, you know, I'm trying to think of any creatures that have the ability to leave two puncture wounds like right, that, with yeah, teeth like that. Yeah, but then they just drain like they drain the blood through those wounds. That's pretty weird.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't specified. Like, was the blood found at the? Right, crime right. scene
1: or was he just gone they never specified that you think it's possible that this just could be like local legend and this never indeed happened this Story. is like a local legend of the cemetery
0: possibly I mean the thing that is true is that there is a huge tree above a, an old grave I know that's for sure because we had a picture of it um, but really also how they condemned the guy they like they just found this guy accused him and he's, he's like, like hey, you look ghostly you white look pale. yeah you yeah. look like
1: a vampire yeah. he's like he a little no.
0: anemic yeah, and then they stabbed him and then it's like, all right yeah. damn they're like justice yeah right <laughs> yeah the whole whole idea of
1: vampires is, a, is an interesting one especially people really were terrified of, of vampires back in the day like that was like a real fear yeah
0: now it's like silly movies now we're
1: like stuff. Twilight ruined yeah. that for <laughs> yeah. everybody like it's like yeah ever since twilight i'm like yeah sorry i don't know cool yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah these were some absolutely brutal stories though and the paranormal activity that followed i think makes a lot of sense for a lot of them but i want to know what you think about these places if you have visited mexico or live in mexico i'd love to know have you been to any of these places that we mentioned in this episode if so let us know your experience in the comments below if you're watching on youtube Also, one thing you do to help us out, it really does help us out, by the way, is take two seconds, go to Spotify, hit the follow button for us, and go to Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button. And obviously, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new upload. But that is where we're gonna wrap up today's episode. So happy to be back. So much great content coming your way in 2023. We'll see you next time. Until then, lights out.